need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg. Yep, Spielbergerberg. Chronologically, this is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and Eric. Hey, how's everybody doing? We're great. Well, I'm, I'm speaking for everyone when I say that. Uh, we were we record a podcast clearly, uh, and we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order. Um, and uh, this 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 time, we're watching AI uh, from 2001, starring Haley Joel Osment, William Hurt. Jude Law, uh, Francis O'Connor, and uh, that's good enough. Oh, and Coulson. Agent um, Coulson. From, Agent Coulson from your MCU world, if you're familiar. And a, a part where he has one line. Yeah, it's a, it's a very brief Coulson appearance. Um, you blink and you miss him. But I, I did take time out watching the movie Deposit and say to my wife, hey, it's Agent Coulson, to which she responded, <laughs> who is Agent Coulson, which made me yeah. sad. As a good wife would listen. <laughs> um, uh, so my history with this film is I, I'm on record as saying I hated it last week at the end of the episode. I'm like, I hate AI. I don't want to watch it. Granted, I'd only watched it once when it came out. My sister's uh, was at the time a big Haley Joe Osment fan. She's like around the same age as him. So the good big brother is going to take his sister to go see a movie. Hated it loathed this film and swore to never watch it again and then i started a podcast where i do all spielberg movies so i am contractually obligated to watch this again how about you what's your history that's fair do you do you happen to know the exact release date of this i know it was 2001 but do you know precisely when this was released because stand by my my history with this film is a little different. Very unusual for me. June 29. It was a summer blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you okay. imagine? Okay, so uh, in late August 2001, I was in New York City right before 9-11. And uh, I had never really spent too much time in New York City outside of uh, going uh, through the airport and stuff. Mm-hmm. I got my way elsewhere, but this time I was in the city. It was for a work trip, uh, but there was a lot of spare time to wander around the city. And so I actually came upon a booth of a guy selling bootleg VHS tapes of movies, right? And so I uh, I bought this. I bought Tomb Raider um, and a few other things. Not, of course, not knowing what the quality was at all. And I got it home. And so the first time I ever watched this was on a New York bootleg VHS. And I uh, I was watching a crappy copy. It was clearly like a cam from inside a theater. Um, but at the time, I was like, man, this movie is really slow. And I don't know if I would be into it more if I saw it in the theater or not. Um, but I, I remember just being kind of like dozy about it, you know, just just feeling sleepy about the whole thing i think at some point after that i probably saw it either on cable or on dvd um Mm -hmm. but 
while I didn't hate it the way you did, I certainly wasn't like intrigued by it. You know, I, I didn't, it, it didn't, it, it feels very distant to me when watching it. Um, so that's why I was really, and that was of course like 20 years ago, you know, um, I was interested in seeing it now. I, I do find that uh, for a lot of these films, uh, my take as a parent is much different than my take as a young person with no kids. Uh, right. Um, and and so I was interested to see if that would kind of change the dynamic. That's for that's me. true for me too. When I saw it, I didn't have kids, and and obviously now I do. So, um, it'd be interesting to see how that changes things. So, real quick before we get any further. Uh, back on the Frenzy episode of Hitchcock Chronologically, you are on record as saying that AI is a far better film than Hook. I have the recordings and I have the proof. Now, do you feel that way still? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you out of your head? <laughs> no. How? No. Like, so my experience. You're, you're messing with me, right? My experience with this was a lot different than it was when i was younger and and it turns out it's not because i had kids it's because i've watched four seasons of black mirror in the meantime and uh and so i i looked at this in a very different light than i have in the past like i think i went into it expecting something with like the tone and emotion of like et or something along those lines and that is just not what this is this, this movie is not warm in any way. It is not emotional. It is philosophical, right? Like, this is a philosophical movie. And, uh, like, a lot of that Spielberg sentimentality isn't there. And, and uh, you know... I think he tries to put it there, though. Like, so, okay. Now, you might know better than me the story of Kubrick and how this fell into Spielberg's hands. Yeah. But Go my ahead. understanding is... Kubrick, this was going to be his next film after Eyes Wide Shut, but he passed away. And so Spielberg, I guess, took up the mantle to, to do it and tried, in my estimation, to tell a Kubrick-style story and kind of get out of the way a bit and not do his shtick. Yeah, I, and I think that's fair. There are moments where I feel like he's trying to find some warmth here where there isn't any. And it just uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting how it really worked out, because that's that's most people's assumption. And that was my assumption, too. What really happened was uh, Kubrick uh, had been working on this film for like 20 years. Right. So he had mm -hmm. mounds and mounds and mounds of notes. And he had been back and forth with Spielberg uh, about this movie over and over again, trying to get Spielberg to direct it. Spielberg didn't want to do it, but there are like hundreds of communications between the two of them while they're hashing out the story and stuff. So at the time he died, Kubrick had basically the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie story-wise, not filmed, obviously locked in, but he had gotten far enough that he was the one who recorded Robin Williams for Dr. No, it wasn't Steven Spielberg. Um, so, so Kubrick, Kubrick, parts are you know the beginning with the family and the brother and the house stuff and then the end with the bots which which are typically the parts that you would normally you know ascribe to with steven aliens, spielberg you mean? yeah 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 they're bots yeah they're not aliens those are those are robots okay <laughs> they look like aliens 
Okay, so so anyhow, that those parts we can get into the aliens versus bots conversation. Uh, those parts are um, Kubrick's parts and Spielberg's parts that he wrote to like finish like plug in the holes for the movie are actually like the harsh parts. They're like the 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 flesh fair and yeah. you know like all of that so stuff. did he he had everything to do with like jude law's arc i think so yeah i think i think okay. jude law was was spielbergy i mean he hasn't gone entirely on record to say which exact parts were his and which were kubrick's other than to say the parts that you would normally like think were me were actually stanley kubrick and the parts that you would normally think were stanley kubrick were actually me um mm. and, and so like a lot of debate spun around this movie when it came out as far as who did who did what um to the point where a lot of people just wouldn't look at the movie as a cohesive whole um so it's like spielberg actually went on record and said i think almost everybody has this wrong you know um but yeah that's that's kind of and that's totally fair i don't know the damn thing it's just what was handed down like what i remember hearing it's what you would assume at the time right like like you would assume all these emotional sentimental parts were were Spielberg just from his well his, even like, just at, the fact that this is a Spielberg directed film I've always assumed that this film um wouldn't have been made by Spielberg if Kubrick had lived to make it himself that's what I had remember hearing out in the world yeah i think there was some some back and forth on that still at the time when kubrick died like he was trying to to push it off on spielberg for a number of reasons not just like the emotional aspect but also his mastery of special effects like there's a shitty film and i don't want to be here you go you direct it (laughs) that's probably more of what it was i'm again on record as saying i don't like kubrick i don't like his films I don't like things devoid of hope. It just is, a, it's me, right? I don't really like Darren Aronofsky's work. Just give me, you know, like something to, to latch on to. And, but that being said, this is a, a movie that is devoid of hope. Despite, in my opinion, when I watch it, I don't see any hope. And, that is a Kubrickian thing. And Spielberg is very much a guy who tends to layer in hope and goodness and into his stories and family and camaraderie. And it feels like someone like had Kubrick made this movie, I think it might've been better quote unquote. I probably still wouldn't have liked it, but it would have been someone who knows how to make that kind of story making it as opposed to Spielberg, which is not his bag, baby. Well, I think a lot of why this movie kind of failed upon release, or at least it didn't do great, you know? They made their money back, but it wasn't like a huge hit or anything, was because the attempts at hope at the end kind of fell on deaf ears of the audience. I don't even think they're hopeful. Like, the the audience is like, no, no. Like, this is a hopeless situation. You're, You're, like kind of half weird attempt at a happy ending doesn't work for us that kid lived in that submarine you know <laughs> in that submarine for helicopter forever well, you know and, and, and it's and, not it, even that it's like it's really not that happy of an ending right no, it it's is really not. just feels like it's trying to cut the edges off of 
like just round it out a little bit, but it's not that happy of an ending. Yeah, um, it is definitely. I mean, bittersweet at best. Not possibly, no. possibly just bitter. You know, um, in in but I mean that that's part of what I appreciated about the movie this time. Like, as as opposed to like trying to engage with it on this emotional level, I I instead started thinking about it on an intellectual level and on a philosophical level, and uh, like. I'm I'm tempted to say let's just skip any recap of the movie and jump right into the questions because I've got a lot like a okay. lot of of uh things that I've been thinking about uh I've been right. reading and researching and and Before like thinking we through all this stuff and 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 I think there's much more going on in this movie than maybe you know the surface that's great and all and we'll do that now, before we do, I want to talk about one of the big problems with this stupid-ass movie. Go for it. I'm going to bury it right now in case you turn me around, and then I, like, you know, <laughs> I'll be a real idiot. But they get David. Okay, so if you don't know the setup, this couple's son is in the hospital, and they're not sure if he's going to recover. So this guy works for this tech company that makes robots, and they have this new kid robot and you can imprint on it and then it will love you pretty much unconditionally for the rest of its days. And so he's explaining to his wife, don't imprint on this unless you are 100% sure. Don't do it. And when they get this robot, she is opposed to it to, to the, at the beginning, right? And she's opposed to it pretty much the whole time until one of the stupidest things happens. She has a piece of pasta hanging from her mouth and stupid robot kid goes, ha, 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 and it's a creepy laugh. It's not even like a cute, adorable, fun laugh. It like startles her and then her husband starts laughing creepy and then she starts laughing creepy and then the next scene, she's imprinting on it. That is the only thing that happens from I don't like this weird robot that's trying to replace my kid to let's imprint on it. Because it laughed at the pasta in my mouth, and then she imprints on it. Well, I think okay, so I I agree with you. Like it is, it is really stupid. Um, I I think in general that the family in this movie is just damaged beyond belief. Like these people are fucked. Like that dad brought that robot kid home with with no consideration whatsoever. Like he just springs it on his wife. Like I know our kid is in Don't suspended animation in the hospital. I brought you this robot kid to take its place, which is like the ultimate husband miscalculation, right? Like, like what a yeah. dunderheaded stupid thing to do. And then like the mom is like in this weird, like half state of grief. Like her kid is dead, but not dead, like gone, but not, dead like she goes and like reads to his frozen body in the weird yeah suspended in a lot of ways it's the worst part right like that that space of not knowing yeah so they're both like super messed up and they they don't have i think the emotional capacity to deal with this commitment that they're making to this thing you know um, like, because the mom does on, on almost a whim decide to imprint the robot on her because she has to read this code to the robot and then that awakens his love for her. Right. And until she does, he's just like a weird robot. 
but she does. She does. She, she goes on a whim and she decides to read the thing to her, and then then that makes the robot kid like imprint on her forever. And she knows going into it that there's no turning back. Once you do this, if you don't want this robot kid anymore, which is never going to grow up, which is never going to change, which you're always going to have to take care of, the only way to get rid of it is to take it back to the the factory and have it destroyed. Right? So the whole concept is completely fucked. Like, like it's hideous. It's yeah. a hideous thing to do. It's horribly irresponsible. Uh, the, the, the robot shouldn't exist in the first place. Not to mention all these people... Everybody in the movie is completely jacked because they're living in this weird post-apocalyptic world, essentially like waiting for the end, you know? And uh, so they're already all operating on this, uh, you know, the end is nigh wavelength. Um, So, yeah, like I, I, of course, like in that moment with the spaghetti, was like, what is wrong with all of them? Like this, like emotionally feels completely off none of this is working and then i was like oh wait but these people are super messed up like they are like super messed that's up that's a stretch like yes they are i agree they have problems but there is no from a storytelling perspective there is no arc to coming around right it is literally the pasta moment yeah why not imprint yeah i, I I agree. And it's that that's just a huge leap for me. The other thing that at least from the parent part, like this, uh, the first act is the acting is very two note. Or it's full yell, right? Yeah, it's it's extreme emotion or you're subdued and that's it. And it, it to, there are several points where the yelling feels so false and like over the top for me um like when they're eating when he's eating the damn green stuff or anytime she's yelling at david to stop it it's just like shut up like too much yelling for me um and it didn't feel genuine I, I I think that's fair. Like yeah, I, I I'm never gonna say like yes, this is a perfect movie. A lot of these things that didn't play well for you also didn't play well for me. You know, now, like go ahead. I was gonna say the thing that I the movie starts off that I I like the opening scene with William Hurt in the boardroom talking about robot philosophy and the advancement of robots and what makes them different from us. It felt very Asimov, and I like that yes so the science fiction i like is that sort of near future science fiction where this what does one change in growth and technology really mean for society let's explore that so at the beginning i'm like maybe i will like this i'm a more mature viewer now at least i'd like to think so but i'm probably not uh go uh listen to the drive angry episode of the movie draft house where i rave about how great that film is um but I just was like, maybe, maybe there'll be something here for me this time. I think there is something here for you. I think you just haven't realized it yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, okay. Let me, let me center myself and set aside the fact that I hate this film. Just like you did with Rufio. You allowed an argument to come in and it swayed you. Okay. I'm ready. All right. I tried to arrange these in, in like, some sort of order so they go from you know lighter to to more you know heavy t- 
topics. But let's let's just start out like you were talking about with Asimov. Um, I would like to talk about Asimov's laws of robotics, mm-hmm. which you are clearly familiar with. But for our uh, listeners who might not be, so Isaac Asimov, science fiction writer, he wrote I, Robot. Uh, and as part of his robot writings, which were pretty extensive, he created what everybody now acknowledges as the the three laws of robotics, uh, which, you know, wise humans would follow when developing robots, right? So the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm, right? The second law is a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So you can't tell a robot to like go hurt somebody or go kill somebody because that would break the mm-hmm. first law. The third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So it can protect itself so long as it isn't going to hurt any humans, uh, and so on. A piece of genius, timeless writing by Asimov. Just, it's it's genius. The three laws is pretty much like it. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's it's a little it's a little nugget of perfection, right? Yeah. Um, and and I have uh, I have this quote also from Asimov speaking to this. Uh, somebody asked him if, if this could be applied in, in real the real world. He says, yes, the three laws are the only way in which rational human beings can deal with robots or with anything else. But when I say that, I always remember, sadly, that human beings are not always rational. Right. And the reason I wanted to bring up the, the, uh, the laws of robotics is because these robots are clearly not following the three laws of robotics. Right. Like. They are. This is not an Asimov version of robots. Um, so, uh, and I'm trying to think, and maybe you can point it out easily. Where are there points in the movie where you see specifically that they break one of the three laws? Uh, two specific things. Um, number one, when David uh, is saying, "Keep me safe, Martin. Keep me safe, Martin," and he pulls Martin into the pool. Yes. Yep. And so right. he's he's breaking the third law. He's protecting himself, but he's protecting himself at the expense of a human yep. life and uh either that or david is so poorly programmed that he doesn't understand what will damage humans and what won't right so that also could be it um the the second uh thing that struck me about that was uh Gigolo joe and how he is immediately worried that he's going to be framed for murder um if this is a world governed by the laws of robotics Gigolo joe would have nothing to worry about Right. right, like he would be programmed to never harm a human being, and therefore uh, could not be. I mean, it's the plot of iRobot the movie, the Will Smith joint. You know, like, listen, like I was going to bring it up. Yeah, much better than this piece of shit. But, and I know a lot of people don't like iRobot because they get this Will Smith sort of actiony vibe. That movie still has a lot of great philosophical stuff in it, while being entertaining and action packed and fun. I agree. I wish we would watch that. Yeah. Okay. I, go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're we're in this world where robots can harm other human beings, like like or, or human beings, which mm-hmm. which leads me to think that that Doctor Hobby uh, is irresponsible in a, in a lot oh, of ways. I think that's unquestionably true. 
Yeah, almost to the point where I kind of start to feel like Dr. Hobby is a bit of a monster. And so I agree. my question to you is... Like, sh- what happens there when he's like, just stay right here, and then he never comes back? And why are they... I have so many problems with this final stuff. Well, we'll get to it. But- well, no, I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. Okay, that why, sequence uh, why are crazy. they doing business in a drowned-out Manhattan, for one? Right, why? Their whole facility is there, operating... In the the ice caps have melted and Manhattan is flooded and they're just doing business in a tower in Manhattan. Right. At the beginning of the movie, you don't realize that they're at the top of Rockefeller Center or wherever it is. But they are. That's where the beginning of the movie takes place is on the top floor of a building in a drowned out. And uh, okay, could those buildings withstand the ocean currents? Like, I'm just wondering, because it shows them 2,000 years in the future, and some of those buildings are still standing. What if the ocean take that shit down, like, pretty quickly? I have, I have no idea. Like, but... I'm just thinking in terms of, like, the weight at the top and the effect that impacts of water on weight and, like, how currents function and so on mm-hmm. and erosion and I don't know. Like, it just... Erosion, I think, for sure. In 2,000 years, yes, I would think that we'd, they would be in a different state, for sure. Um. But I just, uh, but that whole sequence, like, like how he gets there and why he gets here, like, like, okay, so Doctor Hobby, when when David arrives in Rockefeller Center, Doctor Hobby implies that like a they had been watching him all along because he said we kind of lost track of you there for a minute, uh, which I assume kind of implies that they weren't seeing him at the flesh fair. I I don't know, I don't know exactly, but then like. We're supposed to believe that they programmed Dr. No, the Robin Williams character, with this specific knowledge, knowing that David would, like, seek after, knowing that he was seeking the Blue Fairy. And so, like, that would direct him to this almost impossible-to-reach building in flooded-out New York where he would solve the riddle and find the guy. Like, what the there's a hell? lot of leaps like there's a lot yeah. of leaps like like talking about story moments Which sucks that don't work because in this the movie, doctor no part huge. is like one of my favorite scenes i love when they're in that little room just the two of them and you got the vr going around and the warm soothing voice of robin williams is singing to your child's heart and i loved that sequence of the whole thing of like not only do you ask him questions but you're going to ask him very specific, what kind of reaction do I want, right? Right. You know, I want a fact one, or do I want a fantasy one, or do I want, you know, like, here's the genre of answer I want back. I loved, in, in, a, in a movie filled with crap I hate, I well, loved that scene. And the whole thing is just a scam to try to take your money. Like, it's it's like like the genie twisting your wishes on you, right? Like, Dr. Right. Joe's going to tell you some dumb thing that might answer your question. But it, the whole thing is just constructed just to bilk rubes out of their money, uh, which I thought was, like, a fun. And so they have to be very and they're deliberate. they're at a fair. They're at, like, a carnival where that makes sense, you know. And, you know, he's like, you should really not raise your tone on the, you know, like... I forget what the question was, but he says one word, but he says it in that questioning tone, like bagels, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and that loses his money. But yeah, I think I've got you off topic, but I just no, it's I have a lot of emotions. So, OK, so speaking of emotions. Why would human beings ever 
want to create a construct that feels emotions. So the only okay, this there's a couple things, but for the to answer your question more directly is scientific advancement just because they can, right? And that I feel is um Dr. Dumpus's whole deal, right? It's just like we've gotten so far where we can simulate emotion. You know, but you know, where how we take it from here. And I think for him it's all about scientific leaps. Right. And I think at the end of the movie, you kind of see that you did something, you know, you chased your dream, something no robot has ever done, you know, and it's really great. Um, so that's why I think he would do it. My second thing is, I don't think he's done it. OK, that was my next question. Like, Be- do, do you think he has achieved it with David or is David no. still simulating? David emotions? is totally a robot. He is still and I don't obviously physically a robot emotionally he's reacting to programming to me like he's still like this is how i react in this situation to show love and i've totally everything in my programming tells me to do this because if he if he's supposed to be this like i guess the movie's trying to posit the question the only difference between us and robots is emotion which it's not because we have critical thinking and we can take that and like emotion and turn it into something else he doesn't ever get to the point of seeing hey chasing after this thing i'm never going to get back is just going to leave me heartbroken and like no he's very much a robot he is still a robot and i'm kind of with mad eye moody on this if you know you kill him you're he's still a robot like and i think the best course of thing that could happen to david in this movie is she takes him back and they dismantle him because what happens afterwards is way worse if if he is actually feeling and experiencing emotion and has that sort of human nature then what what is to come is way worse than just being snuffed out right so on that note like because he is going through all of these like heinous things not the least of which is getting trapped for 2000 years in a submerged helicopter and then frozen staring at this thing uh do you ever feel any empathy or sympathy for David at any point in the movie? No, I do for Gigolo Joe. Something that is more human about Gigolo Joe to me. What about the moment where David. the mom drops him off in the forest and he's begging to stay? Did that no, trigger? Because I still feel like he never up until that point he never does anything that makes me think he's a real boy okay so you know is that the crux of why you don't enjoy this movie like like the fact that you can never empathize with him because he's a robot does that impact your assessment of the film like do you feel like if you were able to empathize with him you would like the movie more i mm, i think it would evoke a different reaction i i again i don't like movies without hope and i think even if i'm like oh he is a real boy that probably makes it even worse to me <laughs> you know like oh this is horrible they're just running this kid through the ringer but i think the movie fails to do that i think because he is so robotic in all of his actions right yeah. and the most childlike thing he ever does is put on his mom's expensive cologne 
to, oh, do I smell lovely? The rest of it is just like a robot trying to understand how to be human. See, and I, don't, it, I don't know if it, the film is failing to make him human. I feel almost like it's doing it on purpose. Right. And I feel like that's why it's a challenging film, you know, like because like as as people watching a movie, we need that level of humanity to like empathize with the main character. Right. Like like how Disney like takes a chair and animates it and <laughs> makes it look human or a broom or whatever the hell. Right. The little animals, you know, they humanize these things and then we can empathize with them and relate and so on and so forth. And I think that with AI, they never get that. Like D- David although he's not a computer creation, he still exists like in the uncanny Valley, right? Like, like you're never able to lock in on him. He always feels slightly artificial. And because of that, I think that's why so many people in this movie are just like, Nope. And like push it away because like this character never crosses that line to feel fully human. You're just still in the back of your head thinking, Oh, this is just a puppet. This is all an act, you know, like, somebody set him up to do this and and whether that's on purpose or not that's how i felt like i never crossed that line into seeing him as anything but that but again like with gigolo joe because of the charismatic performance at Jude law and the interest he takes in the kid and the i he's so much more compelling of a character that when his end comes i'm sad to see him go well gigolo joe is just more fun right yeah. like, like it's just fun to watch does little dances <laughs> he's like you know he's fun he's a fun character yeah he's a lot more fun and he he elevates the film while he's in it he makes it more watchable right so we've already we, we've kind of established that we both kind of feel like david doesn't necessarily have any real emotions right right so he's simulating emotions and the only emotions that i see him exhibit in this movie are fear and love and one flash of anger right when he sees the other david and it kind of breaks his brain for mm-hmm. a minute and he smashes them all up do you feel like if the if his creators had allowed him to simulate feelings like boredom or frustration uh he would have been better off no because he doesn't sleep so you get boredom compounded with an extra eight to ten hours of life a day, and if you know, I don't know. No, yeah. I don't I, think I mean, so. I can see why they wouldn't, but like I'm thinking in terms of just like give the hell up, kid. Like <laughs> you're frustrated. You're not gonna find the blue fairy. Give up. But because right. he doesn't well, have I, the simulation of those emotions, he never gets frustrated. He never gets bored. He's just going to go, 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 go until he Well, tries. and I think that's a problem with the programming, right? Nobody's programmed human beings, or at least in a healthy way, to have an obsession on one person and trying to get that love back, right? And the only times people do have that obsession, they are quite unhealthy um, mentally, right? They are stalkers, murderers, abusers. Like if they want one person to just love them and control them or and to be able to control them to have that love reciprocated, that is not a healthy place to be, right? Because you can't control other people. There are people with parents that don't parent and hate their guts. And human beings, you either adapt and 
find a way to keep going or you you die you know like if you find someone else that does love you right you find new family and he because of the programming and because he is a robot and he has one he is not a human character he has one goal to receive and give the love to one person they didn't even program this thing to love two parents right you only get one because you can't do a second imprinting and be like me too right it's just such a faulty piece of equipment and uh i just no this thank god they didn't let him love the dad because he'd be like daddy i love you and then it'd be like fuck off right like eat some more spinach (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah this movie what were we talking about like i just piece of crap all right so do you feel that it's hypothetically possible to program androids or computers of any type to feel emotions no, as a as someone who doesn't know robotics or anything like that, from my experience with technology, you can only simulate them. You might say if A, you know, the way programming logic works is if A equals X, then equals B, you know, like that's how programming logic works. You need these different places to kind of get somewhere else. You can simulate intelligence. You can simulate emotion. But because emotion is so different and varied for so many people, I even simulating it is going to come off false. So what do you think the difference is? Do you think that it's because uh, as organic creatures, we have this mix of chemicals in our head that allow it's us to chaos feel... chaos theory. Like, why... why like, if, if we were able to construct organic robots, right... Like carbon-based robots, and give them access to the same chemical mixture in our head, and simulated pituitary glands, and this and that and the other. Then, do you think all you're doing is making life at that point? They're not robots. If you're doing all organic stuff, you're cloning. Where are you getting that organic matter from? You're using um, stem cells and geni- brewing it in a. You know, you're starting from a place of organism. And you're, that's the only way from my non-science brain that that would work, right? You would start with like a cell and then we would clone that cell and grow it and it would, uh, you know, incubate like life. So no, you're just creating a human again. Okay. You're Because it, cause the way you're saying is the only way to get to where we're giving robots emotions is to give them the same chemical responses that we have and then at that point they do cease to be robots because now they've got organic flesh and bones and live a life and can adapt and change and you know what i mean yeah you can't you like computers and robots are binary they are programming they are not chaos theory as much as someone would like you to think that you know you maybe can't account for every piece of code and that's why bugs exist but there is a very recreatable, reproducible way of getting those bugs. And so, no, I personally do not believe that we're you get to a point where you can actually have and feel an emotion well, from I think, a robot. I think the part that kind of gets me is like, yes, in the laboratory uh, situation, that might be true. Um, 
and in computers in the way that they exist now where we have these very specific input and output methods, right? Like we got a mouse, we got a keyboard, we got, you know, some are voice activated or whatever. But if you build a freestanding construct and send it out into the world with no control whatsoever of what it's taking in and what it sees and what it experiences and just leave it there for like a thousand years, you know, like wandering the earth like Kane from Kung Fu isn't there a chance that it could evolve through this constant input and expansion of its base programming to feel emotions or do you feel like no because it's it's starting from a base program right it's not changing that base program um it it can it can add on and all it's doing is collecting data and putting it somewhere but having it react to that data i think you could probably do too but it's always got to have again from my limited knowledge of programming uh an if or situation you but know? isn't that just what we're doing aren't we just wandering around collecting data storing it somewhere and then that data impacts our future behavior no because if you do because you're also born from different starting points right so yeah okay you're collecting data but you Two people born, you know, can be very different. To say mom and dad can have two kids. One is a psycho killer and one is a world peace, you know. You're still coming from a very organic, you know, chaos background of, like, no two people are the same. And with robots and computers, they are the same, right? You can have the same starting point. And there are, like... Maybe this plastic's a little different, but no, I don't agree with that. But Well, I mean, but what's the difference between that and twins? Like, twins are born with the same starting point, the same genetic code and background. They come into the world, they get the same data for a while, and then they eventually split off and become very different people. Sometimes very different people. Uh, so what's to... But e even in the womb, their DNA is different, right? There is still, even though, like, they're... You could be, oh, well, it's exactly the same. I don't think that it is. I think as the, the cells regenerate and grow, there is already chaos in the differences in them. And I get, I'm not a scientist. These are beyond me, right, questions. I can only guess, you know, like there's no way I can, or even you, because I don't think you're a botanist, <laughs> would be able to say for certain one way or the other but from my understanding of programming and computers and mechanics and my telephone and this thing only does what google tells it to do and or if there's something they haven't accounted for glitch wise you know like there's always the glitches of we're imperfect people and we're going to make mistakes but just based on my outlook the information i've obtained no I don't think that you can because that the genetics are in humans and biology is random and constantly changing and the starting points are totally different. And the basis of, of computers and all that is math and math is the same every time. Okay. One plus one always equals two, no matter what 1984 tries to tell you. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, let's let's get in a little bit of Matrix talk here. Where are you at on the idea that the reality that we are in is perhaps not the base reality? 
I'm not on board with that at all. I think that's a fun idea and concept. No. No. Like I, not, like I watch, it? No, a lot of people left, and I am not a Matrix fan. That's fine. I'm in the minority there. That's fine. But a lot of people leave that thinking, oh, we're in the Matrix. What if this is a simulation? And people are like, got religions based around the Matrix movie, I guess. What if we're in a simulation? And that's fine. You know, I'm not yucking your yum. You know, a lot of religions start from weird places all of them honestly um but i just no i don't what we have is in front of us and while we are humans and can misinterpret things i personally don't buy it no yeah i, I love to go what down the rabbit you? hole i know i like to think about it i like to go down the yeah. rabbit hole and think about it my wife makes fun of me because she's like it just doesn't matter like if if we are in a simulation in a simulation in a simulation it it doesn't matter like you're still going to go to work. We're still going to pay the mortgage. <laughs> We're still going to go on vacation. It doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. That's that's fair. Um, I'm, I'm more of the philosophy of what am I going to do? Like, like on, uh, and, and to kind of agree with your wife, like, okay, say that's true. Is that going to change what I do today? No. And I'm kind of more of the philosophy of either way, how can I make your day better and my day better and be better and grow in my own way because at the end of the day this movie is one without hope again it is very much a um not to get into too far but like in an atheist world it is a cold worldview and not that all atheists i don't even know i'm not forget i said that but it is a he is chasing after a fairy that does not exist and the world is not, no matter how hard he looks, he's not going to find it. Okay, and stop, as, stop right there. Stop right there. Okay. Does David's desire to find the blue fairy equate in any way to man's desire for the divine? To David, no. Because for him, as a robot, it is a means to an end. He has been told that the blue fairy can take a fake boy and make him a real boy. There could be some parallels of Pinocchio being his Bible. Maybe you could make that correlation and I probably couldn't argue with you. Now, I don't think that it parallels that well because he's very much only wanting one outcome because his search for the divine in this instance isn't, I would say almost it's more his mom would be a closer one because what he's looking for is love and acceptance and um, that reciprocal love, which in my argument, if that's what your faith is based on is love and being accepted. And that's a good place to be in my opinion. Um, and so I would put it closer to that. Whereas the, the look for the blue fairy is very much a selfish, I want to get something from you and there's no pushback, right? Like to me, faith is I love God. God loves me. And it's this circle. Yeah. And in effect, Monica, the mom becomes, becomes his God when she activates him. Yeah. Right. Like, like he finds his maker which is very unsatisfying, right? Like that's not yeah. what his motivation is. He's not 
he's not looking to find his maker. And when he does, it's like, wah, wah, I'm going to throw myself in the ocean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like, like in effect, like by creating him, they're allowing him, they're, they're putting this creation in a situation where it will have a God imprinted upon it. Mm-hmm. Right. And will eventually be abandoned by that God. One way or another, she's dying right. sooner or later. Yeah. Right? Like, and so I think uh, it, it's heinously irresponsible, right? Um, because eventually he'll be abandoned by his God. But then on some level, that made me think about, like, humanity's search and desire for its God. God, whatever form that takes, and uh, how occasionally fruitless and hopeless that feels as well. Well, you know, and I think there's a big difference because so much of religion is afterlife, right? Uh, like all of them. I can't, they're not being omnipotent, but most of the, the main religions in the world are about what happens after you die. And living your life in a way to get you to the good place to quote the TV show. Um, and in this movie, he doesn't have an afterlife. He is immortal already, right? He does, There is no end to his life being snuffed out unless, you know, it's dismantled or whatever. But he's essentially immortal. And so his quest isn't even to get, which is kind of interesting, a uh, afterlife out of getting back to his mom. All he wants to do is be loved. Yeah. Um, and and to love. And so I think in a lot of ways, that's the most pure form of faith is I'm not really trying to get anything out of you uh, as far as like, I just love you to get to heaven and or I just love you because you love me and you're good. And you know what I mean? Like, I think there can be even be a clear line of where religion can go bad and religion can be good. Right. You know, um, where if you're on the, what can I get out of this? I think you can easily run down uh, a wrong path. And if you're, I just want to love and be loved, then I think you can get a lot of good out of it. Yeah. So in a way, the blue fairy is not his God. The blue fairy is like his Holy grail. She's like the boon that will connect him with his God that he's looking for. Yeah. And I and I can't think of anything that correlates, at least in Christianity, the the faith I'm most familiar with, where maybe baptism, you know, would be kind of the thing that symbolizes that crossover. But even that's a tenuous connection, right? So let's let's uh, let's talk about the ending some. So so my read on the ending, and and you might have a very different read, and if so, then we should talk about that. But these things that eventually discover David and pull him out the are... The alien-shaped robots. Can the, we just agree that they yeah. are alien-shaped? Oh, they, <laughs> they look alien-shaped. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting, the first time you see David in the movie, when he's leaning up against the wall outside, the light makes him into that shape, right? As does, like, the statue outside of the, the main office where yes. William Hurt is. Like, it's a symbol that keeps coming back. Yeah, so, so my opinion was that, like, essentially all the people died off, the Mecca were left, 
and they continued evolving themselves. Like they continued working on themselves and they have become, you know, the primary, I don't even want to say form of life, but the primary occupants of earth. And they have this still programmed need to know about humans, to connect with humans, right? Because like, we're going to assume that this David program continued on and that they designed even more Mecca with this human emotions and, you know, this need to connect and lock in on humans and so on. And so I, I just assumed that that's why they're so excited to find him because they're like, Oh, here's, here's one that actually knew them. You know, it's like, it's like digging up somebody from the time of Jesus. That was like one of his followers. And you'd be like, here's why we got one that knew him. You know, he can tell us all about that's like when, the when thing. they found the, the dead sea scrolls is like the oldest transcripts. Uh, of the Bible at the time, it was like, oh, yeah. Right. So David is Except their, their this is more dead sea scrolls. Yeah. So, but then they, they download all of his memories, right? They pull all of the information out of him that he has. But then they still continue to proceed with this exercise of allowing him this one day with his dead mom, right? Why? 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 Why do you think they did that? Like, what's the motivation for them to do that? Like, why didn't they just pull everything out of him and then just shut him down? You know, like what? Hmm. I think they're, I mean... There's some level of care there, I guess. I mean, I don't like if they're programmed or somehow this code of loving the humans is in their nature now, like through years of whatever, that maybe that's their way of caring for him. I don't know. I honestly don't know because I don't know. So the whole thing with the mom, the whole thing with resurrecting the mom is gobbledygook, right? Like it's, it's just nonsense. It's a clone. She's a clone. She, we she, need DNA. They clone her. Is she a clone or did, is she just a simulation? Like, is it all just happening in David's head? Is he in like a hollow deck? Like, is he just like no? Because still and they're just putting these memories in his brain. Like, like okay. So no, because if he was, then why would they only say we could bring her back for just one day? You know, why? like if it's if it's a simulation, if it's just in his head, there's no reason they can't just have him live in his head and always be with her in his brain. I take it as they clone her because that's why they need the hair, the locket that he has. And, but the problem is, is the clones, once they go to sleep, they're pretty much dead. Then you, if you wake them up, they get wiped or whatever. So my interpretation of the ending is that they clone her and she has some semblance of memory. I don't know. And then when he goes to sleep with her, at the end or she's sleeping and he's holding her hand. He's just never going to wake her. And he's just going to lay there in that place, holding her hand because that's the best possible scenario for him. Do you think that he's dead? No, I think he's just as awake as he was in the submarine, but he's in a bet. Like for him, he's contrasting 2000 years in a submarine, looking at the blue thing, or he's got a mom who is alive, but asleep. And he's holding her hand. Well, I because thought she was as, dead. I think she's just no, going to rot. I felt, 
the way I felt is as long as they didn't wake her up. But I don't know. It could be. Who knows? There's, this movie sucks is the problem, right? <laughs> and the they don't. none of this shit actually makes any sense. It's trying really hard, though, and I appreciate it. No, I don't. But anyway. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I, I, I kind of took it as uh, the mom goes to sleep. And, and this is all just for me. This is me just pushing my own thoughts onto this movie because it doesn't say any of this. But I took it as the mom goes to sleep, the Mecca give David the illusion that he's turned into a real boy, and then they just shut him down. That's fine. They, That's as good have, of an ending as this is. They have no like, use for him anymore, right? Like, w- without emotions, without any sort of, like, need to keep him going. Then why of, even go so far as to plug in the f- the fun memory? Why not suck him dry like you said and shut him down? Right. There, it, Because there has to be some element of care there then, right? Yes. So maybe that even though humans couldn't create robots that feel emotions, maybe somehow the code evolved or whatever. Similar to like in iRobot, the superior film, he talks about lines, ghosts in the machines and lines in the code where they sort of group together and which doesn't make any damn sense, but at least it tried to establish something. But I don't right. know. Let me let me read you this quote from Roger Ebert, which I liked, which kind of like supports uh, a lot of what you've said, right? Having downloaded all of David's memories and knowledge, the new mechas have no further use for him, but provide a final day of satisfaction before terminating him. At the end, when we are told he is dreaming, this is only David's impression. Earlier in the film, it was established that he could not sleep and therefore dream. Why would one mecha care if another obtained satisfaction? What meaning is there in giving David 24 hours of bliss? If machines cannot feel, what does the closing sequence really mean? I believe it suggests the new mechas are trying to construct a mecha that can love. They would play mommy to their own Davids, and that mecha would love them. What does love mean in this context? No more, no less than check, or mate, or pie. That is the fate of artificial intelligence. No mommy will ever, ever love them. Yeah. I'm not Again, even an Ebert fan, but I, I agree. Like, it just... Hopeless. <laughs> yeah, that's what this movie is. And, um... Yeah, I, and I think that's a, a correct interpretation. It's there, there is no hope in this film. It is uh, everything that David has, he loses, um, including Gigolo Joe. And 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 I think to me, like if if David were human, he would attach himself to Gigolo Joe, who like he doesn't even care that he's gone. Right, Gigolo Joe's going to be killed. He gets when they suck him up into the spaceship at the end or whatever. Right. right? They're pretty much going to go kill him because he's a criminal. Um, it's interesting that Gigolo Joe says, I am, I was like, those are the last words you hear out of him. Like some, some need to express that he did exist. Right. Yeah, He's the most human character probably in the film, even more so than the human characters, because they all, everyone in this film operates with one directive, right? <laughs> just the like there is no humanity here it's all the same shit you know my like my one directive is to to parent my son who is in a coma my directive is is to help my wife feel better about our son who's in a coma my one directive is to get rid of this robot brother i don't like my one directive is to make a robot that loves and 
Gigolo Joe's the only one who has more than one. Like, he is, sure, a love robot. But then he finds this kid who saves his life, and he's appreciative. And he's like, well, I'm sticking by you. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you find and reach your goals because I owe that to you. You saved my life. And then he dies in the process. He sacrifices himself, which there's no greater love than this, according to the Bible. And he gets sucked away and is, is, dies for his friend. Chickalo Joe is the only human being in this movie. He 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 is he comes he, he when he meets with women, he meets them on an emotional level, right? Because men, you know, sex to us is just physical and visual. And women it's much more emotional and they have to their needs have to be met emotionally. But I mean, he just he's the only character with an arc that evolves and has more than one objective because there's a self-preservation objective there. You know, like his gigoloing is his career, but it is not who Gigolo Joe is. You're saying AI is about the wrong robot. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like this movie would be so much better if it was just Jude Law. And I don't have anything against Haley Joe Osment. I love the sixth sense and pay it forward. I think he's brilliant. I think he's directed wrong or he's directed in a way where he has to act like a robot and he just doesn't, he sucks in this movie and it's, I don't think it's his fault. He's unlikable as a character and Gigolo Joe, who has this sheen of plastic on him, right? They make him look artificial is still more realistic of a character. So for you, it's kind of an Empire of the Sun issue. Like the character is so unlikable that you're just yeah, like, I think fuck this movie, to... fuck all that. <laughs> well, and then it's compounded with the lack of hope and the lack of humanity. And I just, that's why I don't like Kubrick films is because there is no hope in his movies, the least the ones I've seen. Um, you, nobody, not the reason I don't watch uh, Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad and you watch Breaking Bad? No, I haven't watched Breaking Bad. Fuck that show. Because nothing good ever happens to anyone. I started Ozark and about like five episodes in, I'm like, nothing good is ever going to happen to anyone on this show. I'm done. I don't like that's not why I watch entertainment. And so you get points off for that. Then you have an unlikable lead and you just you're just compounding crap upon crap. And then you have all this like the the philosophical stuff the best thing that comes out of this movie is this episode of this podcast because <laughs> the discussions are better than the movie itself fair enough all right on that note i think i've exhausted everything i have uh i hate this movie and it will be in my bottom five i, I can't imagine anything like Okay, so what I was thinking about is the the locked in a room the thing I always like to say if you're locked in a room with two DVDs, which one do you watch? But here's my thing: if I'm locked in a room with three DVDs, Empire of the Sun, 1941, and AI, and they're like, okay, you can watch AI and get out of here, or you have to watch the other two. Put the other two on, cue them up, let's go. I hate this movie. I Holy hate shit. What about like so on a technical much. level? Like, do you appreciate it at all? Like, like, man, these effects are bomb. Like, Dude, they, a lot they, of them like hold up. Like the the scene at the beginning when her face opens and like I can see the seams a little bit, but it's it's tough, right? 
of the scene where the iconic one where's the the robot that turns her head and it's you just see the circuitry yeah, in between yeah, yeah. really i think visually teddy, this movie like teddy, oh, teddy is, is amazing yeah. like I, I would watch a movie about just teddy <laughs> like I so think, like the creation of teddy is amazing the only teddy time is i saw an interesting of character too of yeah. being more human right his like what are his goals i don't even know like he it he keeps looking for David and he's watching over David to be a loving and protecting companion. Like, yeah, like he's maybe a more ideal version of what David could have been where he's not totally hopeless. If you know, David isn't around, right? He's yeah. Just, like when, when the brother Martin comes back and he immediately shits on Teddy, I'm like, Oh, I hate you. Like yeah. I automatically hate you now because you're being uncool to Teddy. He's the worst character. <laughs> like, and he has no, good in him and like the whole let's read pinocchio well i mean part, I think part of the gonna. movie is that like they take this this vulnerable thing and they put it in in the care of this really messed up family like these people yeah. are super flawed and so it's like it's like taking a kitten and putting it into you know a pack of wolves like it's it's one of those things where like they just aren't in a place where they can care for this super vulnerable thing and uh, whether or not it's really vulnerable or if it's just created to act vulnerable, the bottom line is those people are a hot mess, right? Including the sun. And so they're not in any position to, to deal with this. I don't even know if I would call it a gift or a burden or what the hell he is, you know, but uh, yeah, a thing that shouldn't have been created because Dr. Hobby is a monster. Yeah, he is. And he but and I think that why the movie falls on its face to me is that it at no point establishes to me a believable reaction from the parents like because David is so false even like obviously before he's imprinted and then afterwards he's still the same level of false like you don't really get it. nothing really changes. I love you, mommy. He just gets obsessed with mommy. He's the same. And I, and because of that, I don't understand why the parents care. I don't know why she's so upset about getting rid of him because he's not like he is a surrogate. And when you get the kid, I don't know. It, yeah. I mean, I, I think in some ways I would prefer if this were a book, if this were a book, there it is a book. Know, super toys have what is super toys last all summer long. It's a short story, you know, yeah. like I, I, I would prefer if it were a book book. I recently watched Moonfall, like the super shitty uh, Roland Emmerich, Roland Emmerich from last yeah. summer. Right. And it, it's crappy, but it's visually entertaining and it's fast yeah. moving and it's kind of fun, you know. But after watching it, I was like, man, that would have been a great book. Like I would have really have loved to have re- read that novel, you yeah. know, like sometimes subject matter doesn't necessarily lend itself to every medium. And I feel like like. You know, Asimov's I AI, I would I would really be into that. Oh, it would you know? have been way better because he, I think he gets robots. For one, he is the guy, he is the robot guy. Like, everything we know about robots is pretty much Asimov. But um, for sure, and he would have done a much better job. Um, but again, he's not a filmmaker. But yeah, if he right. writes a book on it, yeah. I mean, I, stuff I will is legendary. say like having watched this movie and having like read about it quite a bit, 
uh, over the last couple of days. I do think that Kubrick and Spielberg put a lot of thought into this movie to the point where I think Spielberg was probably like, ah, oh, when it came out and people didn't like it and they didn't get it. Like, I, I think that some of these ideas that we've been talking about today are in the film purposely like i don't think that i'm just pulling shit out of my ass talking about these topics like i think all of this was considered and purposely placed into this film and then audiences were just like ah but the thing you know and 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 so i do like just want to take a second to acknowledge and appreciate that these guys thought about this for years before Mm -hmm. making it and whether or not it works as a film there are a lot of interesting ideas in it you know, and I think and that's... visually it is it is appealing. It does also remind me a lot of our next film visually. Some of the stuff in their house when he's the kid in the house and the lighting and the lens flares. It all feels like Minority Report's going to feel. Minority Report is just from memory, and it's a recent memory, a much better movie. Um, but you know, so I, I it's not a total loss. Like honestly. 1941 is a worse movie. 1941 might be one of the worst movies ever made because it doesn't do anything right. It does nothing right. At least this has visuals, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I, when you were talking about the, the three, the three DVDs, but I, I would, would still, <laughs> I would pick this one. Like, I, I think yeah. that there's enough going on in this movie. And I so feel like with you like this viewings, better than, now I asked you at the beginning. You honestly I like it better like than the... Hook. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Like I would, I, I would definitely because like I, I can kind of click into this mode where I can turn off my emotional expectations and just kind of sit there and, and and like be thoughtful about it, you know. And that's that's the mode on which I appreciate this movie. And you know, a lot of the emotional beats in Hook, you know, as we talked about in that episode, don't necessarily work for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them do, but some of them don't. But I think like there's this other piece of me, the one that enjoys like hard science fiction and so on, that that like enjoys digging into these ideas. Um, and that's but, that's the the guy that would sit there and watch AI. Yeah, but for me, like the whole point of that is is the human reaction to hard science fiction. Like, um, one of my favorite science fiction writers is Will McIntosh, and his worlds often are dark and don't have a ton of hope. But generally speaking, there's a human element there that makes it work for me. And and so the it's about those small in changes in technology and what that means for us as people. But it always comes back to the people side of things, right? When you have those changes. So like iRobot, that film deals more with the human response to things, right? How do humans feel about robots and all that? This movie is definitely more of from the AI perspective, whereas iRobot is the human perspective of robots, how that changes our lives, you know? Um, So. And that's, that's, I think where some of the disconnect come from. Like I said, I have to turn off my emotions to watch this movie because it is an emotionless movie. What are we doing? Right. At that point, what are we doing? You know, reading textbooks, (laughs) Uh, just, uh, uh, to me, I'm like, and again, you that works for you. Great. That I am in no way taking that away from you. But what are we doing when we're turning off our emotions to watch a film? Like, I, I that's why we watch movies. Like, why I turn on a movie. All right, Nicole the, Kidman. No, I don't care <laughs> if she said that. Good for her. But she's been in Kubrick's garbage. But um, 
like when I go and I watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the end when like he's, and I'm, he's reminding me of when my dad died and it's bringing me that, it's like there's some healing there. Like, why are we watching movies? I'm not, I'm not turning my emotions off to watch a movie. And when I do, it's usually to watch Van Damme spin kick shit, you know? And that, <laughs> and I get still hyped about that. I'm like, yeah, and that's emotion. What are we doing? Yeah, right on. All right. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm cool with the uh, with calling it on AI is one that we're just going to agree to disagree on. I think for sure, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I I was not going to be swayed, and especially after the second viewing, you your best attempt to sway me would have been before I watched it a second time. Had we had this conversation, like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, maybe I have misjudged it, and then I'd watch it again and go like, no, this well, thing's I mean, hot garbage. Obviously, the answer is to watch it again. No. Never again. <laughs> if 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 on my other podcast, the way we do it, we pick movies to watch. If Mark picks this, I quit the show. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not watching this ever again. It's so lonely of a film and just <laughs> why would we want to do this? Why would we want to this is what I don't get about Kubrick and and guys who just like their intention is to make you feel bad after you've watched a film. Like you want to feel like shit when the movie's over. Why? Why do you want to? Why do? Like I, I watched really eight millimeter. Think that idea, like, I the felt whole like point, shit after eight, oh, millimeter. eight millimeter. is a horrible movie. Why it's would a you even watch movie. it? Uh, it's so bad. It's so. But why, oh, why, but is it why? good though? I mean, is is it? No. Oh well, it's really showing you the underbelly of blah 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 blah. blah. This really no. blah, blah, blah. How could you compare this movie with an eight millimeter? <laughs> no, I don't like eight millimeter. I, I would rather watch AI than eight millimeter. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. okay but okay, for different reasons. But someone could argue that eight millimeter wants you to feel that way at the end of the movie. You I should didn't like feel eight like millimeter because I thought it wasn't dark enough. <laughs> Oh my God! We are different human beings. I don't I understand. Much, I was much younger then, but yeah, I thought it was it was like I thought it was a waste that movie of is about a snuff film. How much darker do you want it to be? What are they killing puppies? I don't know what you want out of this. Like, why do you watch movies? Well, what about okay? It's like something like Seven. Do you feel like that has any redeeming quality? That's a good question because that is a good movie. It's a good um, movie, right? But it is dark and hopeless and nihilistic, and I think uh, you come out of it feeling like garbage, right? Like uh, I think there's at least Morgan Freeman's moral compass, right? Not everything in the world is terrible. Um, that yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow dies. Spoilers, but he loved Gwyneth Paltrow and she loved him, and his actions are out of mourning and rage, and there's a, an element of that we can relate to. And there's Morgan Freeman's compass of him being the moral high ground of saying, no, you don't want to do this. You don't want to make these mistakes. So you can come away from watching that movie going, if I'm in that state of pure, unadulterated rage, maybe I need to take a step back and look and make a better decision. You know, vengeance, like it, the, the tale of what does vengeance actually cost you? You know what I mean? There's something there I can glean out of that that would improve my life. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Now, any Rob Zombie garbage? No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. No, it just, it's, it's this edge lordy, everything sucks. And I just, uh, if that appeals to you, hey, not yucking your yum, but I don't get it and I don't want to get it. And I'm not going to watch a clockwork orange. I just don't, I, I, I don't want to know. I don't care. That's fair. That's fair. Like, have you watched, have you watched the, the series Dahmer? No. On, okay. No. It's about the serial killer, right? And Too you close like, to real. Too close to real. Well, it is me. real. I know. That's why um, I haven't watched it. I have various reasons. I have a very specific reason why Jeffrey Dahmer is something that I know a lot about. Um, but that movie, there's a lot at the end of it. You still kind of get this dad who is like, my son is a serial killer. How do I still love my son who is the worst thing in the world, you know? And there's something to take out of that and kind of understand from a human perspective. That That's my thing. Like there's just some movies that afterwards you don't get anything out of other than to feel. So like you shit. feel like there's just nothing to pull out of AI at all. Like even some reflections on what it means to be human as opposed to be unhuman. Sure. Like I said, the only human character in the movie is Gigolo Joe, but that might be a more of a fault of the writing than anything because he is a robot and he doesn't have this emotional programming that David supposedly has, who is more robotic than Jigolo Joe. So I, and there, there are things I can pull out of this. Uh, I hate it. Uh, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I wonder if it would have been better if David had like a human buddy to run around with, you know, like, like uh, some, like some Someone window to guide into the world, him, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe you make this movie again and we see what David could have been in a family that maybe isn't getting him to, it's, he's basically a replacement puppy. Our, our dog died. We'll get a replacement puppy so we don't have to feel all the sad feelings. Um, but maybe you make this movie again with David in a family that maybe just isn't capable of having children biologically, right? Yeah. And because this movie establishes there's reproduction laws that maybe then you see what happens with this AI when it's in a family that is going to care. And, but the thing is, is one of the things we do as parents is teach our kids to go on without us. And that, again, is the fault in the programming of the robot, is it's always dependent on the mom or whoever it imprints on. But yeah. as parents, I, I've got to raise my son that one day I'm not going to be around, and how do you move on and, and, and not need me? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, the only preparation she makes for this is that two seconds when she boots him out of the car and says, hey, I'm never coming back for you. Yeah, just, here's a couple bucks. Stay away from the flesh farms. Right. Or whatever, the flesh festivals. Yeah, like this movie is, it lacks any humanity. And I think to me, that's why I have a hard time pulling things out of it. I think that's totally fair. But next week... Oh, my Minority God. Report. I'm so excited. This is, okay, we go from one science fiction to a Philip K. Dick film, uh, you know, based on his writings. Uh, now, I haven't seen this maybe in about three years, four years. It's a little bit more recent because I do love it so much. I'm a Tom Cruise guy. I like Tom Cruise. I know people don't like Tom Cruise. I'm not talking personally. But oh, I, I like, like his Cruise. action films. Oh, no. I, I, I think Tom Cruise, like... Y- you can rely on Tom Cruise. When you're going to see a Tom Cruise movie, 
you're probably going to have a pretty good time. You're, you're there, gonna, are, there are there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, yeah. I'd say and 90, one of them is directed by Kubrick. You know, right. like that shit fest. Like even Kub, like even Tom Cruise couldn't save a Kubrick movie. So yeah, um, I'm really excited to watch, and it gives us those same philosophical, you know, philosophical ones of uh, the. Is it okay to stop crying before it happens? And, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, there's we'll lots have to some talk about. On. It's yeah, going to be so good. About. And the movie's also entertaining. <laughs> what else do you want? It's a bonus. All right, cool. Well, uh, I guess we will then see you in two weeks for Minority Report. Oh, see you then.